so excited. You have no idea. I know you are. I know you are. Why don't you tell everybody why you're so fucking excited? So today, we are interviewing Art Edwards, author, songwriter, solo artist, and co-founder of The Freaking Refreshments. Woo-hoo! <laughs> so excited. I'm already so fangirl. You are totally fanning out. It's cute. Look at your smile. I don't think I've ever seen you smile like that, except the interview after your daughter was born. You were pretty smiley. You were tired, but you were smiley. Oh, man, Get it out of your system. Do a little dance. Stretch it so, out. So I have some cool questions, though, that I think he's not going to be ready for. That, those are my favorite. When, you, when, you sides, when we sideswipe them, it makes me happy. I'm really excited about this interview. You never in a million years thought you were going to be doing this, did you? I didn't think I was going to be talking to him. We've been emailing for years. Right. I mean, this is like a guy, a co-founder of one of your favorite bands. Like, what are the odds? Like, if you put Lenny Kravitz in front of me, I don't think I could do what you're doing. I'd just be like, hey. Can you justify my love? (laughs) My love. My love. My love. No, no, but genuinely, he, because... I've been following him since I was 12, since Let Love Rule came out. And I just can't. I don't that think was I a good handle album. it. That's a fucking great album. And that I liked and album. I liked his last uh, not his last album, which been a couple, but my my favorite is one is the Strut album. It's one of the more recent ones. I thought it was fantastic. That song Chamber, kidding me? So good. Yeah, he's really talented. I I'm pretty I was pretty amazed with him when he first came out because his edge is different than some of the songs that people have covered. So that says a lot about his songwriting. Look, look, it's almost a uh, Lenny Kravitz. It's turning into a Lenny Kravitz. interview. But if you're (laughs) listening, Lenny, call us. (laughs) Call us. Uh, There's a couple artists like that. I'd like to interview. So we are working on the sound pollution mini tour, which we said last week, we just want to reiterate that I'm going to be reaching out to artists and solidifying acts over the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited to see how our lineup, I have an idea about our lineup. We have an idea about our lineup, but I'm really excited to see what happens. Yes. So please, if you're interested, contact us because we want to, we want to get the people there that really want to be there and it's going to be fun. Next week, I'm actually meeting with the venue owners to talk about our kind of our finale almost event. And so it's going to be so fun. And and I'm trying to line things up so when y'all come in, it will be as easy as possible. Unless it's incredibly difficult, then, you know, I failed. But I'm going to try to make we it failed. It's okay. possible. And I'm going to be out there, so so I'm going to be helpful. You do know that, right? I'm going to be helpful if you keep me somewhat plied with wine. <laughs> you got to keep my social anxiety down, and we're golden. Um, also, we are looking for sponsors to, for the show. So if you're interested or you know somebody who might be interested in sponsoring the show in Texas, please reach out to me. Slip into my DMs. Slip into Brent's DMs. Just let us know, and we will hook it up. Or you can email us at sound soundpollutionpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, it's a long email, but it's, it's easy to remember. It's easy to remember because it's, it's so a long. mouthful. And so, also, please become a patron for the show. 
The link is down below in the description section. I listed it at least twice. It was really helpful for us if we can get some patrons and then you get a shout out. Side note, shout out because we do a shout out every show for whoever the patrons are. Right now it's Kathleen and Ivan and we really appreciate you. Yeah, let him in. Are you ready? Let him in. This is our Edwards. He's an author with credits include Stuck Outside of Phoenix, Ghost Notes, Badge. Has a new book coming out soon-ish. It's called 19 Ways to What? Destroy Your Rock Band. That's right. So I'm really excited about that. He also had a movie made out of his first book, Stuck Out of Phoenix. And that was, when was that released? That came out in 20, uh, I think it went, uh, uh, you could get it like on Amazon and, and that kind of thing about 2015. Um, he's also a solo artist and songwriter. He's written uh, albums, um, songs from memory, loving every other minute of it. And his new release, which is Branches Breaking from the Weight. It's an interesting title. So first question, man, are you ready? Do you have I'm your ready. jock strap on? Is it <laughs> tightened up? Okay, first question. I'm ready. Abba or Billy Squire? Oh, wow. You've, you've done your research, haven't you? Oh, that's that's that goes that cuts right to the jib for me. Abba was a uh, um, like when I was eight for sure. Uh, you know, the pretty much the greatest thing I ever heard. And I, if I want to be eight years old, if I want to feel eight years old at any point, all I have to do is listen to Abba. Um, but Billy Squire, there was like a summer. I want to say eighth grade when uh, we would go to the. Uh, the, the little fairs around. I grew up in rural Illinois, and we would go to the fairs in the county fair or whatever, and and try to win the the stuffed animal by throwing the ball, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was one that had a Billy Squire hat, and I wanted that Billy Squire hat so bad, and I spent so much money trying to get the Billy Squire hat, a little painter's hat. It just said Billy Squire. Mm-hmm. It was nothing. Um, but uh, if if you're gonna make me pick, I'll choose I'll choose eight years old over twelve years old, and I'll say Abba. Wow, I figured that would be it because it's blasphemous, but still. (laughs) Now, I think the most embarrassing ones are always more interesting. The more embarrassing, the the more popular, the more, I don't know, uh, superficial. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that's that's part of what we loved. I mean, and, you know, I was eight years old. It's not like you can, you know, Elvis Costello is a little, little bit of a stretch when you're eight, so... You know, I was I was entirely happy listening to ABBA and still am. So those are like the inspirations that Brent's, Brent knows about. What other artists would be an inspiration for you and lead that into what got you started in music in general? Um, what got me started in music was failing at baseball. Saw... <laughs> That's an interesting answer. <laughs> That's fantastic. Explain. I, I... I found I find this to be the case uh, in many musicians, especially Jim Gerke, a friend of mine, was the same way. Um, the instant that you realized that all of your dreams were not going to come true on the diamond, uh, which for me was very young, like eighth grade, wow. um, it, it became necessary to, to, to create a new imagined life for myself in the future. And so uh, when I was 13 and was done with baseball, that summer, I had no idea who I was or what I was going to do. Was, you know, I was 13, but still, I was very confused to not have this bit of sort of cornerstone identity of being a baseball player. Right. Um, I painted a fence for $100, uh, a white picket fence um, for $100, 
And the, that the person who I painted it for, her son was selling his first bass guitar for 125. So I had to scrounge together $25 uh, to buy the bass guitar, and I did. So that was that was the beginning. And I, would, I just turned 14. I was going into high school, and it was a new identity for me. And I knew, you know, music was going to be where I, you know, I was I was very interested in music. I was just understanding Van Halen. Um, yeah. Just to get to your point, uh, you know, it started with Kiss when I was maybe eight, but then um, Billy Squire was somewhere in between, but Van Halen and sort of like glam hair metal, Quiet Riot, Def Leppard, that was a real connection when I was 14 years old and started going to concerts and trying to, you know, my other friends were buying instruments and buying guitars and buying drums. So when did you start your first band? My first band, uh, I, I don't know if I ever, I, I was a bass player, which meant I was, I was in, you know, I was a hot commodity. Yes. And just showed up and said, I'm a bass yes. player. And it's like, oh, please, you know. Sweet. You to- yes. Enter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Girls would throw their panties at you. And so would the guys. Right. Especially the guys. The guys in the band were like, oh, my goodness. Thank goodness. Thank God. You don't got to kick a, a, a guitar player down to bass. So. And I just felt like I had a little natural rhythm and and didn't mind, you know, playing a lot of root notes and a, and a lot of heavy metal songs. And the first band was called The Riffs. Um, there was a, there were bands before then, but that was the first band that I played a gig with. And we played at Skate Ranch on a Sunday night, leading off for Avatar. Um, a lot of action going on there. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, like maybe 16, 16-ish. Smoking wow. in the Boys' Room was played. Um <laughs> Wonder, wonder, uh, you give love a bad name was was played with uh with uh verve so we probably played five songs and uh and let the kid as the 27 kids skated in, in a circle you know so yes wow that's making me realize how old i am <laughs> that's my favorite from what i understand is you grew up in the chicago area and then you went to college in Arizona. It's pretty much a hand grenade as opposed to a dart. But yeah, that's, I grew up three hours ago, went to Northern Illinois and DeKalb for a semester, came home, went to Blackhawk Junior College in my hometown for two years, and then finally escaped to, to Arizona State. That's awesome. Did you meet Doug Hopkins? Because he went to Arizona too. Did you meet him while he was in Arizona? And who is Doug Hopkins? Doug Hopkins is uh, the John Lennon of the Tempe music scene. Let's, you know, to make it simple for anybody who, who's not familiar, but you probably are familiar with the Gin Blossoms because he was the, uh, I guess we'll call him the main songwriter. And yes, when I, my first, my tw- I, w- I moved to Tempe when I was 20, my 21st birthday, I went, it was a Friday night. We went to Asylum and saw the Gin Blossoms and Dead Hot Workshop in front of, you know, a hundred or 200 people, um, all the guys in my current band at the time were, were, you know, took me there again. I was showing up as a bass player. They're like, "Oh yeah, we want you. Come on in." So, yeah. you know, I, my twenty-first birthday, my wife was there, my friend from Illinois was there. Like, you know, so much of my life as it as it grew fr- grew from that night um, is still with me. So yeah. it's kind of crazy that you went to see the Gin Blossoms and Dead Hot Workshop. Just wrap your brain around that in general. Because those are like not little bands. And they were just there for you. Oh, I'm just going to go see the Tin Blossoms. I'm just going to go see Dead Hot Workshop, you know? No, I mean, talk about privilege. I mean, that's, that's you know, I mean, I I thought a band like Dead Hot Workshop, and it was my first college town, really, you know, like out in the world, out of Illinois. And I, lived, I grew up more or less, more or less Iowa, Illinois, right on the border. And to go and see Dead Hot Workshop on a Friday night in front of 50, 100, maybe 150 people, 
Um, maybe on a big Friday night, you'd go see the Dead Hot lead off for the Gin Blossoms in front of 200 or 300 people. I just thought that's what, you know, if you went to Charlottesville, North Carolina, I'm going to screw up names all over the place, or San Luis Obispo, California, or I'm thinking of any college town I could think of, Austin. I, I just assumed that every college town had their Gin Blossoms and Dead Hot Workshop, you know? It's just what you did. You you went down the street and you saw this great band, and I was completely wrong. I mean, that, you know, those are world-class artists american artists so i was you know i just stupid luck stupid yeah. luck that's awesome though what a great story i mean when i was before i got to college i had musician friends that would say yeah we went to see stevie ray vaughn and i'm like you what what right you're like that's not a normal like hold on some cool things happen in austin too but i can't imagine and that was those weren't the only bands that you got to see there either there are a bunch of bands that came out of the Tempe area that were really, really good. So you like the Dead Hot Workshop more than you like the Gin Blossoms? Yeah, boy. I mean, you know, it's a Beatles and the Stones kind of deal. Yeah. You know? um, I, I think there was there was there's always something uh, contrarian in me a little bit that the Gin Blossoms were a little more popular. So, you know, it was and the Gin Blossoms were a were a dance band. I, I can't emphasize that enough, and I mean that in the best possible way. People came. And when I was in a band called the Soul Mines and we would lead off for the Gin Blossoms, and we were like, it's so exciting. We get to lead off for the Gin Blossoms and we're going to play and people are in a dance. And 200 people would meticulously avoid the dance floor for the 45 minutes we were playing. It was almost embarrassing. And, you know, hopefully our girlfriends or, you know, would come up and dance a little bit, you know, and try to, you know, encourage it. But it right. just doesn't work. I mean, you can't pull the, the, the sword from the stone. The, only the Blossoms can do that. And so we would, you know, and we would get off and the place would be packed. I mean, it was, it was uncomfortable for everybody because they couldn't use this area of the floor. It's only Sun Club only has, you know, capacity 200 or whatever. So um, we would get off stage and the Blossoms would set up. And from the first note, boom, every single person in that place was on the dance floor having a good time. You know, they had a few beers in them, you know, it was college town. Mm -hmm. So um, just a know, few. <laughs> right, right, right. And we got 75 bucks when we let off for the Blossoms and we got to stay and watch them and, and uh, got to see all the people. And, and then we'd play our Tuesday night gig for, you know, 17 people. So big deal. Been there. Still there sometimes. <laughs> so how many instruments do you play? Um, good question. Um, the only two I, I would be comfortable, like, standing in front of anyone and playing would be guitar and bass. I'm always a bass player. It always comes back to that. I don't ever aspire away from it. It's 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 part of me at this point. It's it's I I, I understand it. It understands me. I guess I I'm, I don't even think I could fake a drum a drum thing. If like you know if the drummer broke his arm and they said could you play drums for one song you know I don't even think I'd be like no I can't you know I can't. <laughs> You're not, this is about to be an acoustic set because the answer is no. <laughs> No, that I can't. Sucks for y'all. <laughs> but in your defense, you're not just a regular bass player. Some of the stuff you play, it's really freaking fast sometimes. You can really haul ass. Sure. I bet when you're in shape, playing shape, I bet you can just fucking cruise. Because some of the stuff I heard, I've heard on your albums you're playing, now it's not every song because you're tasteful. You know what I'm saying? There's a reason when you're fucking cruising. Right. So, but you're you're not just a regular bass player, man. You're just fucking badass. And you play for the song, and that's what I like about you. I think the most of all, you're like, okay, I need to sit back here. Okay, I, 
I'm going to kick some ass and no one's going to hear it because all these motherfuckers are playing above me. But if you listen really close, you can hear the cool shit I'm doing. And you're singing sometimes while you're doing it. Oh, my God. Well, I, um, there was a period I, I came. I'm, I come from the Rush, Led mm-hmm. Zeppelin, you know, branch of the tree. And especially Rush, it seemed like to be heard as a bass player. Bass players are always worried about being heard. Does anybody even know I'm in the band if they're listening to a song? So there, in the Soul Minds was my first band in, in Tempe. And when I was playing in that band, it, I tried a little bit too hard to put things in to make sure that people knew I was in the band. And then I played an instrument and there was music that I made. And w- with the refreshments, something clicked where I went into that band. And I said, I'm going to find the kick drum and I'm going to sit on the kick drum and I'm not going to leave the kick drum until it's time to leave. And, you know, there, there's still a certain amount of ego involved. There's still a certain amount of wanting, you know, to have your impression on the song. You know, if you listen to a Beatles song and you hear Paul McCartney and you hear his line, you want, you want to be part of that. Um, and, I, and I always did. But in a two-guitar band like The Refreshments, we always, you know, I, I, I really found home with The Root. And from that, you, you, gro- you grow out of that. And what comes comes more organically as opposed to trying to figure out, okay, here's the song. I got to figure out this complicated thing. Just find the Tom Petty root note and follow that and, and your time will come. Cool. So that brings me to, so basically I have a kind of a double question. So you kind of touched a little bit on it, but the question is, who is Buddy and what impact did the bottle and fresh horses have on your life? Who is Buddy? Well, those seem like two, like, they are those related. They they could be related. Uh, Buddy is my nickname from 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 not even childhood, babyhood. I think I believe my mom named me Buddy, and I've always been Buddy. And I've always loved being Buddy. Uh, but there came a certain time, you know, right after I quit the band, where it was, you know, it was like I'm 29, and the only buddies I could name were Buddy Hackett and Buddy Ebsen, and I was like, do I want to be Buddy forever? And I think I decided when I was 29, I think it's time to be, my, my full name is Arthur Eugene Edwards III. So I think it was, it was I was like, I'm going to own that. You know, I'm going to take that on. Yeah. For, for, and I think a lot of people who have nicknames when they were a kid, my dad, he's Arthur Eugene Edwards Jr. And his nick, nickname was Butch. And at a certain <laughs> point, he, yeah, I know, isn't that great? <laughs> at a certain point, he was like, uh, you know, I don't think I want to be Butch when I'm 60. No. Nah. Um, so, okay. Yeah, Side note, we, we have people in Texas that are actually named Butch. Their first <laughs> names are actually named Butch. My mom had a crush on a guy in high school named Butch. What the fuck? <laughs> Maybe it was my dad. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted you. you no, know, uh, I'll just move on to the Bottle and Fresh Horses. I mean, you know, the, the band was, you know, you have an innocent period, you know, when, you, when you're first starting. One, if you're lucky and you were lucky enough to be in a band like the refreshments and there, there's an innocence. And, you know, by the time we started recording bottle, that innocence was gone. There was no, um, we, we rode, we rode that, that, you know, that horse as long as we could. And it was time to, Oh, you know, for a a myriad of personal reasons across, you know, amongst all of us, it was time to kind of move on. And so when I hear that record, I guess I hear that more than anything. I hear, you know, four guys who are uh, just coming apart, you know, um, Mm -hmm. being in a a van together or a band room or a backstage room or a hotel room or a plane, you know, 
is this who we're going to be when we're 50? You know, is this, you know, I shall just speak for myself. Is this who I'm going to be when I'm 50? You know, I'm 53. So I guess not, but you know, so I, I guess I, I can hear that. And I, it just feels a little bit um, like uh, maybe all, you know, all of my cards weren't quite on the table or all my, all my skin wasn't in the game at that point. So, well, it sounded like a uh, bottle, the bottle on fresh horses was kind of forced. Whereas Fizzy Fuzzy Big and Buzzy was more organic, you know, because it, it was as soon as you play that one, it's fun, you know. Whereas whereas Fresh Horses is a little more, it's definitely more mature, but it's also it's way more adult, like what you were saying, you know. Um, also, you know, I can't say it hard enough. Being on the road is like really hard, and the way y'all did it. It was it was a grind, wasn't it? It was. Uh, Isn't that how it always starts out, though? Yeah, I mean, you're you're excited, you know. I mean, you, I I went and saw Quiet Riot and Van Halen and you know Stevie Ray Vaughan and REM and you know all the oh, all, all the bands that I adored and you know now now you're doing it and now you're playing a stage that maybe even that you saw them on. Um, so I mean, the first time around it's really exciting. It's you know. Um, but then, you know, you hit Chicago six times in a year and you hit, you know, um, you know, Portland, which I love, but, you know, it's, you hit it four times and it's kind of gets to be, you know, kind of the same thing. I think we played 260 gigs in 1996. Holy shit. Yeah. So, you know, it was a, a it was a day job and there's just no way to kind of keep it special, um, you know, for, for much longer. We were, we were, we were seeing you know, what, the, where this thing would take us. And it was exciting and it was fun. And, um, and in December when it was over, I was quite happy to go home. I think you have to be a certain type of person to be able to like really do the road for a long time period. Like I'm that. not one of those people. I need to be at home a lot. I mean, now I go to shows and I enjoy playing shows, but I want to come home. You know, I want to see my wife. I want to see the kids and stuff like that. And I You're imagine so sweet Brent. I could live in a van. I plan on it. You know what? After I, could, if, I actually plan on it. Like, oh, I want to so go. I, I, I'm no, I'm serious with the rent the way it is. Hell no. I was like, I'm going to get a really nice, dope, pimped out van and I'm going to go everywhere I fucking want. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think even like the 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 like a KOA like trailer, yeah, like to park. I mean, where you could do that and you got a shower and everything. I I, I dig that. I'm, I'm oh yeah, I know you do. I've heard a lyric about it. <laughs> That's right. So I have one more refreshments yeah. question. All right. Before before we get on before we get on to your solo stuff, because I really want to spend some time just talking about what you're doing right now. Heck yeah. So me and my daughter are huge cartoon fans and we were watching King of the Hill and it was only a couple weeks ago and it said music by the refreshments. Was that you guys or is that someone else? Please tell me it was you. Please tell it me was us. Yes! That is my favorite fucking cartoon show. No shit. How did you get that gig? King of the Hill happened because uh, Jim Cardillo was, was instrumental in that. We were with... Um, and Michael, Michael Lustig and Jim Cardillo, there's some version of the story that I'm going to screw up now because I always had it one way and Jim Cardillo said it was another way. Well, give us Basically, your way. My way was Michael Lustig came to the band and said, this, there's going to be a show on, a cartoon on after the Simpsons in primetime. And we were like, oh, really? <laughs> and, and, and he was like, and it's going to be made by the guy who made uh, Beavis and Butthead. And we were like, oh, my goodness. That's right. So 
by coincidence, we'd written, I mean, we were constantly writing stupid little ditties that were about 30 seconds long. And we'd just written one that we were all just, you know, being goofy when you're not really doing the important songwriting work of the band and you're just screwing around. And, you know, we, we loved the little ditty that we did. Um, and we were like, we just wrote that song before we knew about the show. So the luck is starting to pile up kind of ridiculously at this point. And, 30, and so we, you know, we, we were in Omaha, Nebraska, and we recorded it. We, we came on for an encore, and we said, we're, we're going to record this little ditty from the soundboard. Please scream really loudly when we finish it because, because to convince whoever we're sending it to that it's amazing. Mm-hmm. We did that. They screamed really loudly. We sent the tape to Michael. Michael sent it to the people. And within a week, they said, yours was the one we were singing around the office. So you win. I'm like, Okay. You're like, sweet. Those royalties will never stop because every time I think that show has gone away, I was listening to another podcast that's not music based at all. It was a, it's like a crime and paranormal podcast because I'm a nerd. And they were like, oh, this reminds me of that episode of King of the Hill. And they're like millennials and Gen Z. And I was like, this show is never going away. Yeah. <laughs> We saw the first one. They sent us the first one with a theme song and like a sort of a sketchy version of the first episode. We were like, oh, man, well, you know, it's going to be six, six episodes and out. And well, that was fun. You know, we got this red theme song. You know, this is amazing. You know, we're lucky, you know, and here we are. What a 2000, whatever. And uh, it's still there. So, again, you know, I don't I, I don't know how many times I'm going to say luck tonight. But um, that was that was well, y'all. I think y'all guys all got credit on that song. Right. Yeah. For yeah, writing it. And so that means y'all all get the freaking money. Right. I mean, right. so the question is, is y'all got the songwriting side. Did y'all get the publishing side too, or did that go to the record That's a good company? question. Yeah, um, I think um, the songwriting side, the publishing side, Warner Chapel was our publisher, and I believe they owned everything that we did, the publishing side of everything Bastards. that we did. At, while we, well, you know, they wrote us a big check at a certain point, so that was fine. Um, awesome. It's not like we didn't know what we were doing or anything. Um, so yeah, we but we we still get the performance royalties and and uh, you know um, I don't know what to do but just say thank you, thank you Jesus, you know. Right now on May fifth, no May sixth, you released Branches Breaking from the Weight. This is an awesome album. Art Edwards is doing vocal, bass, and you wrote all the lyrics on it, right? That's right. And then you have Brett Hartley. Um, he does guitar and he wrote all the music too uh he, he and kevin had- well, i was gonna say kevin next and i was gonna right. talk about kevin so yeah. kevin is the drummer and i think him and brett got together and put together this conglomeration of songs and said hey art why don't you write a bunch of lyrics right yeah. is that kind of how it happened uh, more or less there's a little back and forth a little more back and forth i think brett and, and kevin would get together and write an a part and a b part most of the time um, you know, meaning like what feels like maybe a verse and a chorus, just musically, where Brett would have a guitar part, he would get with Kevin, and they would work that out, and they would send me six at a time. Or That's six crazy. Or yeah, it was great. I mean, I've never, I'm 53 years old, just to, here's the music, just write lyrics over it, was, uh, that was, that was wonderful, because I feel very confined with, you know, the bass, we, we all love bass guitar, you know, I don't know how many of us want, you know, a bunch of solo albums written on the bass guitar, you know, right. um, believe me, there's like Victor Wooten and nobody else can do that. Jaco, so, Jaco yeah. Pastore. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and he's not around anymore. So he's um, not. So we'll, we'll take you though. Right. Right. So, so to have the music delivered and really 
you know, have, you know, just sit there and pretend, you know, I'm Michael Stipe and here's the music and just write over it. And, and it's funny that you mentioned Michael Stipe because I was listening to the album. And so I do a bunch of passive listening. And so, cause I'm working and doing, you know, nerd stuff, it kind of seeps in and that's how I figure out what I like and stuff like that. But when I'm also listening, I hear other influences because I'm partially listening. I'm not focusing on it so hard that, you know, I don't think about other things, but this album is really cool because it has a REM feel. It has a punk rock vein that flows through it. And then it has a bunch of staccato like in the drum parts that I wasn't expecting. I mean, it was rhythmic and really well, but y'all do a bunch of little staccato stabs in some of your songs, which I thought was really neat. And I don't have a question. I was just saying that because it's <laughs> really awesome. So I sorry. Cool. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, they they would always add something like Kevin. He's he's he plays everything. Anything that you can. I, I imagine he can play a lot of other things too. But anything you can hit, Kevin can play. So on the last album, he played a vibraphone on one song. In this nice. album, if you listen to "The World Is Enough," he plays marimba. Just like ding, 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 ding. and I, I, you know, that's something that these guys are in Atlanta. And they yeah. send it to me, and I'm just like, where, you know? And it, it seems like this extremely complicated thing that somebody did, and I'm, and so I'm just amazed. Um, so that's that's all Brett and Kevin. I, you know, I'm very grateful that they want to do this, and I'm excited as you are about it. Let's talk about one of the songs that you sent us. Let's talk about Kingdom. How did that? Is there a story behind that track? First song that we did, he sends. They send me eight 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 bits of music, and that was the one that actually had three parts. It had a verse and a chorus and a bridge. It was the easiest one to sing over. I'm not, at the time, I was a 51, 52-year-old man who does not go to the clubs so much and is not hanging out listening to ACDC. So a lot of the other stuff was hard rock, which was a little intimidating. And so this was the one that was definitely right in that REM acoustic guitar pocket. And I could grab it and you know have, a, have something that was a little more comfortable with and familiar with from the, from the get-go, from the first one. I always, Whenever I write songs, I'm always looking for one funny line to start. And it, does, it can be, doesn't have to be funny, funny, it can be ironic or, you know, anything along those lines. When I'm listening to the music, you know, there was a book called The Kingdom that was sitting over here to my, to my left. And, and I started this weird chanty kind of weirdly British sounding way of singing over this and singing Kingdom Come for some reason, which is, I don't know why. And I still don't know what it means. But so at that point, I, I knew I had a chorus and everything else kind of falls into place for me after that. I don't know. I, I sing it kind of in this weird chanty kind of way that to me was ridiculous that I was singing it that way. That's just about any line in any song that I start with. I can, you can make a little joke out of it and I can be like, look, you know, kind of screwing around with it. But at the same time, it kind of appeals to me on a different level too. So it's not really a funny song, but virtually all of this, the way I start, the way I start songs is they're almost always, you know, I, I, if I'm, if it's a Tuesday night and I think of something funny while, you know, the television's on or whatever, I will go and write it down so that, come Saturday or whenever I have time to write a song, I'll, I'll, it'll be there for me. So, so when I first heard that song, it, it, it has two kind of feels to it for me. The first, as soon as I heard the acoustic intro, I was thinking Counting Crows has a Counting Crows kind of feel. And then when I heard Brett's guitar, I was like, he must have the same effects that R.E.M. does on some of their songs. Like the one I love. Specifically, I heard that sound. I don't know what he looked. And my question is, and you probably don't know the answer, which is going to make me very sad, but did Brett use a Vibralux on that song? Oh man, I'm, 
I've got one guitar, one bass, and one amp. I don't, you know, I'm the, I'm the anti-Brett when it comes to equipment. I, you know, it's like the idea of like having to get like two amps and have having to find a place for it and all that. That's just like not me. So I'm way out of this. That's above my pay grade. Okay. So, you know, it has some nostalgia to it, but it's still pretty cutting edge. It doesn't sound dated, you know, and that's that's one of the things I like about it. My favorite line in that song, not that your songs are always funny. It's you're witty. You use satire really well. It's like your superpower or something. I swear to God. My favorite line is, it took the best of him to deal with the worst of him, but what we'll do with the rest of him. That is so funny because it's just a mess of contradictions all on its own. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think of, you know, all of us, all of us, you know, of, of a certain vintage at this point where we were, you know, who went and saw Van Halen or who, who, who had our, you know, our rock and roll moments in the latter half of the 20th century. And, you know, and now we're somewhere north of that age. That song has a lot of that. If kingdom come and they come back home, somehow the war is over and the, and the troops are coming back. And whether they won or lost, it doesn't really matter. The war is over and it's time to find some other kind of, you know, way of nourishing the soul, I guess. So. Come back home 
all of the stuff you write, there's always something, and it's a witty, satirical, philosophical thing. In most of your stuff, you don't just come out and say stuff unless there's some wit behind it or there's some satire, get your point across. And then there's also a deeper message in some of your songs too. Sometimes you're just being witty to be funny, you know, but sometimes you're actually trying to, trying to say something about how you feel or how you think about stuff. So play the hits. My favorite lyric in that was, uh, it took, I have not learned anything after all the times I've stormed the ramparts. Uh, Another fine econo line idea will always stir me in my man parts. I, that was the first line I heard. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so great. That I was, I think I was writing business requirements and I like said, I have to, Stop what I'm doing. I think I was talking to someone and it was playing in the background. I say, Hey, can I call you back in a minute? I need to go rewind this and make sure I heard it right. That's a great line. But it's, oh, Lord. it's my most, my favorite second verse of the album is you ready? Go 14, 15, 17, 18, 19. Years at this compound interest that is a i've never heard someone outside of sesame street count in a verse how the hell did you come up with that because i would have never i mean i could see one two three four two four six eight but 14 15 17 18 19 where the hell did that come from you know you you think i'd be the one person who could tell you i think it's just somebody kind of to me it's a song about being an indie an indie artist Mm -hmm. um take the gig but the money is never that great um yeah that's that's what it's a fun song about that it, the person is struggling in that conflict of trying to be more than what you are or something and and constantly being two steps behind what you thought you were going to be or whatever and so i think it's just that person that character kind of being frustrated and counting the years that he's been doing this 14 15 17 18 19 so it's just kind of silly and I, i've always loved numbers in pop songs i think of uh the smunky's gone to heaven by the pixies where the mm-hmm. man is five and the devil is six and god is seven and what does that mean i don't think anybody knows what that means but it is evocative for all of us and we all think of that and what is you know i i'm always interested in how, how numbers fit and as long as they don't fit quite together quite right in a song i think that's a that's interesting i i thought that was great i and and yes it is about someone who's striving to make it, but something always happens right before they're supposed to make it. The van breaks down. Someone steals your equipment or something, you know, but something is always happening. But in, but it's the thrill of trying to, you know? Right. If, if you're like, you know, like, like you and I'm how I imagine you are and like me, this is what you grew up with. This, these were your dreams. You know, at what point do you not have dreams anymore? It's it's a weird question to ask that I don't really want the answer to, you know? Never. Um, the yeah. answer is never. Amen. So keep I, dreaming until you're six feet under. Or if you're me, I want to be shot in Viking style with like the ship on fire. And, and I want people to get in trouble. I want it to be a felony. I don't want any permits. <laughs> you're so <laughs> twisted. You're so sick. <laughs> You're so funny. Uh, you know what? All right, I'm so sorry. I forgot to ask a question. So this one will probably need to go back up to the front or something. No, nope, it's staying where it is. So you've always been a writer, but 
what led to you moving into full-time writing and taking a break from music? And then what made you go, you know what? I have this little itch I want to scratch. And so then you started releasing music again. So you totally left and you're like, ah, I'm out of here. I'm going to go write books. And so you went and wrote books and very good books, by the way. I think Badger's my favorite book so far. But then you, you, you do a U-turn and you're like, ah, I'm going to do some music. And so I was so excited after reading, I think I'd read Stuck Out of Phoenix and Ghost Notes. And then you were like, damn it, I'm doing music again. And so tell us about that, that little arc, I guess. I think uh, uh, when I was 29, um, the band broke up. I changed my name. Not really. Mm-hmm. I, went, I started calling myself by my name. Um, you know, music is, was such a collaborative thing. It's so much involved other people. There's so much in music that I can't do. And, you know, I have this little toolbox of a couple of things that I can do. And, and after that, I need, I need somebody else to come in and do the rest of it, usually more, more than one somebody. So to get out of the band and to just be an artist, that to me, and I love novels and I love, I love reading. So um, that to me meant I was going to write novels and, and I was going to lock myself in a room for a decade or so and, and just write. Um, and that was really rewarding. I can't imagine not having done it. But um, Brett was really the impetus um, because he's the guy that can do, he and Kevin are the two people that can do everything I can't. Um, and it's, it's not like there's this big grudging thing going on all the time where it's like, well, he gets to sing and he gets to be the lead singer or whatever. You know, that's, you know, Brett can sing totally great songwriter, totally competent. At the same time, he's more comfortable just being a guitar player and a producer. Brett produced the record mm-hmm. um, and has produced all the records. So at that point, he got with Kevin in Atlanta in, in 2008, and all of a sudden, you know, all I have to do is write songs and and pass them on and play bass. So uh, that was perfect, you know, for me. And so that relationship has just grown. Um, you know, we went to high school together, and you know, just reconnected after a decade or so, and. I still wasn't committed to on any professional level to be in a, a you know, I was, I wasn't going to go and hit the clubs and all that. Um, and, and neither is he, he's got two kids. And um, so we're, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's working out to be a really, a really nice relationship and um, really rewarding, you know, after the refreshments and that, you know, was fantastic mm-hmm. and, you know, moonshot, but at the same time, you know, a lot of ill will, a lot of grumpiness, a lot of, you know, all the stuff mm-hmm. that comes with every VH1 behind the music. So, um, so, you know, it's, it's been nice to have, I feel like, you know, my goal is just to have a healthy relationship with, with two other musicians and, and, and when it's not that anymore and make sure that it doesn't go too far and say, okay, we're done. Good. It's okay. So tell us about this album specifically. Um, the thing that changed was, um, I wrote all the songs and I am a, um, somewhat limited guitar player, let's say. So, at a certain point, I believe Brett offered, hey, I can I can write music, you know, Kevin and I can write music and we can send it to you if you want. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I believe I believe at some point in the last 15 years I suggested that, um, but I can't really remember. And um, so he so he started sending, sending that music and I, you know, all of a sudden I just show up and it's like, oh, I'm just Morrissey today. I just open up this <laughs> Nice. Nice. Add a paper and find the thing that I wrote last night, and that goes on there. And you know that is hopefully evocative and and kicks me kicks me forward to to think of new lyrics on top of that. 
and it was just really fun. And it was also still kind of like writing, like novel writing, like mm-hmm. you know, prose writing and that you were by yourself and uh, it's not, there's not a lot of, you know, there's no social pressure, you know, to, to do it any certain way. You're just kind of being yourself and being a dork in your, in your office. And, um, and that was fun and I can't wait to do it again. And we will, we will do it again. The next song, this is a good song. Musically, it is awesome. And arguably, it could be the best song on this album. The guitar of the song is cool. It has a great build to the chorus. And this this one is the one where it has some real cool staccato drum parts in it. I love the chorus. I love the guitar solo on it. My favorite lyric is the one where he's talking about it's a modeling mixed up mariachi music machine. Let's not forget the words of Father Gene, who said, forgive them for they know not how to 
strut, strut, strut. It's awesome. Good job, man. It's funny. Every song you can ask me the funny line that started it. The funny line for that was, let's not forget the words of, written on my pad was, let's not forget the words of Father Gene, who is, of course, Gene Simmons, Mm -hmm. uh, who said strutter, which is (laughs) stupid. But for whatever reason, I laughed when I thought it and I wrote it down. And so, okay, this is the week of that I'm doing this piece of music. It's like, how does this line fit on, how does this bit of nonsense fit? And that might be the most nonsensical. Alpha Centauri is probably the most nonsensical, but this is a pretty nonsensical song. And uh, I, I could, you, could, you could probably piece together what it might mean, but it's, that's definitely, it's, it's more or less just me trying to be funny to myself at every word, you know, at, you know on down the line, so... It was funny to me too. I loved it. I loved it. And those aren't the the only good lyrics on this album. There are a lot of good lyrics on this album. And I think you not having to worry about the music.
we live vicariously through you and through Brett and through Kevin. So y'all guys just keep it up, keep doing it. And I think y'all should be really proud of this album. This is a great album. Cool. Thank you guys. Yeah, we we are. And to to think that like the, the previous album literally has 10 years of songwriting leading up to it. And that this one was 18 months um, from, from pillar to post, you know, you know, so it all kind of has a feel. It has a little bit of a pandemic kind of feel. There's a lot of shit going on that none of us can really understand. And we're all dealing with in, in that panicked way that we're all, you know, that scares the shit out of us. And um, so that's all in there too. And it all feels like a, of a piece to me. It's not a bunch of songs. There is some uh, weird uh, anxiety, I guess, that, that goes through the whole thing. So whether you're trying to entertain yourself just in your house or the doorbell rings and you're hiding because you don't, <laughs> you don't know if you want to get COVID or not, or if you're going to, you know, um, all of that stuff is built in to, to, you know, all of those experiences are in there. So where all can our listeners find you besides your website? Facebook, Twitter. Um, I have a YouTube page um, with music from from the last record. We haven't done anything for this one, but we probably will. Um, at least I hope we will. Bandcamp is my big thing right now. I like that it's very artist centric. It's not just about Bandcamp's coming and being, It's not just about coming and, and being a voyeur. It's about coming and you know looking for artists and, and participating. You know. Also on Bandcamp, if you go to his site on Tuesday and you purchase. Anything from him? Don't you get a hundred percent of the proceeds? There were they had Bandcamp Fridays. That's mostly gone, but the deal's okay. still pretty good. It's you know it's like eighty percent. So you should never shy away and wait for the wait for the the day that it's going to be, you know, that an extra dollar might go to the artist or whatever. That's great, but at the same time, um, you know, we all just you know, I, I don't count on this to eat, which is which is a good thing. But I love for people to hear the music, and it's it's just great to, to be able to talk to folks who, who enjoy it. So, What advice would you give a young songwriter? The best song is always the next one, no matter how much you like this one. And uh, I'm just trying to think of maybe the non-obvious things. There are a lot of truisms. The beautiful thing about the way the music business has evolved is that it's much harder to get too caught up in the idea of a, of a, of a vocation, of a, of a, of a profession. Uh, we can all kind of feel good about, you know, the fact that this is leisure time and it's, it's, you know, we might even use the H word and call it a hobby. We don't have to pursue the brass ring. And that's really cool because kids, I think younger people can really understand what music is and what, where, you know, it sort of, it can, it can begin and end with this fun thing that I just created. I think Kurt Vonnegut said something about, about that. It's like the reward for making a piece of art is that you made a piece of art. That's, that's the end, you know? And we grew up in a time when there was this weird commerce attached to it where you would turn on the TV and you would see somebody there and it's like, he must be a millionaire. He's singing a song on solid gold or he's singing a song on you know, <laughs> night flight or whatever, you know? And then there's this weird professional aspect that gets attached to it that will always be part of me too. But uh, you know, it's 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 you 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 imagine a hundred years ago somebody who wrote songs, and you know they weren't thinking about you know how am I going to get this to the copyright office so that you know nobody can steal it from me or you know how do I, how do I get an agent so that I can you know get better gigs or whatever you you just made it and that is the end of it. So I'm glad that they get to do that and. 
you know, always, always, always get it, get onto the next one. Cause you, you just get better until you get worse. And you know, then and you die and you, and you go play. Catch <laughs> oh man. Hey Art, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come and talk to That's us. That's so awesome. I appreciate it. And thank you for agreeing to do this probably against your better judgment, but I appreciate no. it. He's such a nice boy. He's very nice. <laughs> that was fun. I can't, I cannot. You did really I, good. I was so excited to, to ask the questions I asked. And there are some that will not see the light of day, but I'm glad I got to ask them. They were yeah. just special just for you. They were a, You wanted to know. You know, that's all. I just... It was awesome to talk to him finally, and yeah, cool. I'm I'm happy with this interview. It was it was fun. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to Sound Pollution. We want to thank Art again for being on the show. We enjoyed having you, and we will have you again, big and boy, again. <laughs> and again and again. Yes, Art, thank you for joining us. I want to thank everyone that has listened to us and is still listening to us. Um, we have some great things lined up for you this probably this next year. Um, definitely one thing we have on the radar is the tour, the mini tour of Texas coming in October. So that's going to be fun. So save up your money so you can come to Texas and hang with us. So we have some cool things going on. And more will come out as we get further into the year. So we're really looking forward to seeing not only – people that listen but the artists that have actually come on we're we're actually going to get to meet them face to face we can yeah, pinch them stoked. so it's going to be fun that is going to be really fun brett i'm going to meet you face to face i mean i, I feel every week. i feel like we've already met i know i know but we haven't <laughs> it almost feels like we like we're like work buddies or something or something you know what i'm saying because because it's like oh you're having that kind of day oh me too yeah Oh my God, I can't believe that. He said, what? You know, I can't, it's just like we're friends or something, you know? Oh my God, we're friends? Yeah, you know? Maybe we actually can stand each other. I can't wait to have my wife meet you. That's going to be stoked. Oh, her. Oh, by the way, the picture she took of you and the baby laying there was adorbs. And then the picture of, of Mabel and the baby. I can't. That was a good one. Oh my god, those were such good pictures. I was like, "Damn it, those are so cute." For a second, my loins went. Don't you want another one? And then my brain went, "No one without a vasectomy," and that was it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you didn't just stop in the middle of that statement, and you just went on ahead and rolled through it all. So make sure you listen to that entire statement. Oh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm leaving it in. I don't care. Oh, man, because I was worried you weren't going to finish that. (laughs) Men with vasectomies are so hot right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Let's see. What else do we got going on? Oh, still working on the radio station. I'm just really, it's just that I don't have the time to do it right now, but I'm planning to have it out up and running 
before the tour is the goal. So um, keep an eye out. Make sure you're following us on social media so you can see when that happens. And if you want to be involved in a different kind of way with that, also hit me up. Again, sound different kind of way. Sound pollution podcast at gmail.com. Shut up. And don't forget to become a patron. Yes. Don't forget to like, follow, and download the episode. That's right. And send us money. (laughs) Yeah, because I have to quit my day job before I get fired from my day job. Yeah. This is this is tough, you know what we're doing, but we enjoy it and No, I love it. I love it. I'm just I'm very ready to not for this to be my job. So I am begging at this point. And I ain't too proud to beg. Sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's funny how lyrics make it into our conversation. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening again. We love you. Get out there and make Make some noise. noise.